My name's Tony. Thank you for the pleasure of letting me uh, share with you tonight. Um, just for my curiosity, uh, who knows the story of the Battle of Jericho fairly well? Okay. Who would have been, this would be like the first or second or third time that you've heard this story before? <laughs> Pastor Jeff, okay. <laughs> All right, that's good, because I just want to make sure as we move through that uh, I'm not assuming that you know um, this story well, okay? Um, I pray that uh, you can follow along with me. I'm going to read an article here. <clears throat> um, I won't bother explaining before I read. I'm just going to read it. Uh, see what you think. I'll read it uh, nice and quick for us. The name of God was everywhere during Wednesday's insurrection against the American government. The mob cried, carried signs and flag declaring Jesus saves. Somewhere participants in the Jericho March, a gathering of Christians to pray, march fast and rally for election integrity. After calling on God to save the Republic during rallies at state capitals in D.C., over the past two months, the marchers returned to Washington with flourish. On the National Mall, one man waved a flag of Israel above, the sign, above a sign, begged a passerby to say yes to Jesus. Shout if you love Jesus, someone yelled, and the crowd cheered. Shout if you love Trump, and the crowd cheered louder. The group's name is drawn from the biblical story of Jericho, a city of false gods and corruption. The marchers' website says this. Just as God instructed Joshua to march around Jericho seven times with priests blowing trumpets, Christians gathered in D.C. blowing shofars, the ram's horn typically used in Jewish worship to banish the darkness of election fraud and ensure that the walls of corruption crumble. Now, that's an article talking about the Jericho march that uh, Christians walked around the uh, Washington, D.C. capitol before they stormed the capitol. Um, I'm not going to comment on my political view on this. Uh, some of you might know me, you might know roughly where I sit. Um, that's not the point of why I read that. The point of why I read that is, uh, well, let's, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to voice my political opinion on it, but I will share with you um, what my wife said when I explained this story to her. I told her the story and she asked a few questions for clarification. But when, once she understood what it was all about, she goes, oh, that's disgusting. Because that's what it is. It's, it's pretty disgusting. And I couldn't put it better myself, that a, a group of people would take a precious story from God's word and completely misinterpret it and make it fit their agenda. And I'm determined that we won't do that tonight as we look at the book, of, uh, the book of Joshua and the story of Jericho. Because there is a real danger of taking uh, well-known books, uh, stories in the Bible and allegorizing it to our life and making it fit into our own, our own personal battles. A classic example is David and Goliath. You know, what's, who's the Goliath in your life? Who's this giant that you can't defeat? Jesus, God will empower you um, just like he did David. He'll equip you with a sling and five stones and you'll only need to use one stone because he's equipped you over and abundant. That's not the point of David and Goliath. The point of David and Goliath is David is Jesus, Goliath is sin, and we're the wimpy little Israelites who did nothing about it. That's the point of that story. And, but it's so easy to over-allegorize it, isn't it? To make it fit into how it's relevant to me. We can't say, uh, this story is great, 
and I'm going to apply it to the way that it's going to fit into my battle, my own personal struggles. What we need to do tonight is we need to say, God, this is your story. So speak to us how you want to speak to us. This is your word, so apply it to my life the way you want to. Like Joshua does in verse 14, he says, What does my Lord have to say to my servant? Let's have Joshua's attitude. Let's, um, let's pray quickly before we start to, to dig in. Dear Lord, I just want to worship you and acknowledge how wonderful and mighty you are. I want to acknowledge how beautiful your word is. And we as fallible humans, um, we can misinterpret your word. But God, this is your word and we ask you through your spirit to speak to us the way that you want to speak to us. Please have your, your hand upon us. Pray that you'll be with me that I'll speak clearly, um, that anything that is not of you won't be remembered or heard. Um, but I pray that your spirit be working through me and I'll be working in each heart here tonight and that we would interpret your word the way you want us to. Please speak to us. Uh, open our hearts up to hear your word. You'll know me pray. Amen. So, how is Jericho relevant to me? Um, as Ollie said, we're beginning a short series um, in Joshua tonight. And the first six chapters of Joshua, um, they're all pretty good to begin with. It's actually really refreshing to read uh, the first six chapters because, for once, shock horror, the Israelites are actually listening to God. Um, but then come to chapter 7, it all goes wrong, and that's going to be Vinith's problem next week. So, first six chapters of um, Joshua are so important. That, and one thing that we often do is we often, when we take things out of context, we try and fit an allegorization and make it relevant to us because we didn't find the context. So we must understand the context of this and how pivotal these six chapters are to the history of the Bible, to the history of Israel. Um, already mentioned tonight, Israelites have been pulled out of Egypt. They've been rescued out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. The nutshell story is that they've been waiting a long time for this moment. 600 years ago, this land was promised to them, to their ancestor Abraham. And they've been building up. The anticipation is building and they know that once they enter the promised land, they cross the Jordan River at the beginning of Joshua, they know that the next step is they have to drive out the people who are inhabiting the land of Canaan. And there's a, there's a moral question there um, that we're not going to dig too deeply into tonight. Is like That's tough that God would allow these people to be driven out, and it's a violent book. But take my word for it tonight, uh, you can chase it up. You can look into this later, but the short answer is these people were not good. They were evil and wicked. They were sacrificing their children to their gods. And so um, come to uh, chapter 2 of Joshua. Spies are sent into Jericho to scope out the land. Rahab, the prostitute, hides and looks after the spies, and that's what chapter 6 is about when they come to defeat Jericho. They're looking after Rahab because she says, hey, I've heard about your God. He's a powerful God. I want to be on his side. Okay, so do we have the context? The context? Israelites have been waiting a long time for this. This is their land. It's been promised to them. First on the list of people they have to drive out is Jericho. But how is 
Jericho relevant to us? Is it relevant to us? Like, are we driving out uh, uh, people out of our promised land? No. So we have to read this story as we begin tonight, and really anything in the Bible often. We must read this story as not prescriptive, but descriptive. Does that make sense? It is descriptive. It's describing something. It's describing the story. It is not prescriptive. And therefore, if I follow these steps, that's when we start to fall into the danger of the people who stormed the US Capitol, who thought that if I take this as a prescription, I take, follow these steps, I'll get what I want. So we must remember that. How is it relevant? What lessons can we learn from this amazing story? The first thing we need to recognise, as Ollie said, the theme of this whole series is, this is God's battle. We need to recognise this is God's battle. Because in today's day and age, it's so individualistic. There's a danger to try and take a famous story like this and fit it where it doesn't belong. To fit it into my battle. And the application becomes, if you, if you... It's all about you. If you want to have victory in your life, then you've got to do this, this and this, and you will get what you want. That Jericho in your life will be conquered. And you might think, hey, I, I wouldn't do that. Prosperity gospel people, people are a bit delusional. They might think that, but I would never do that. But just take a, how many of you bought a book that would say something like Seven Steps to a Successful Prayer Life? Or, <laughs> or if you might think, if I can get uh, this devotional and get that fancy book that's just the book of the Bible with the journal in it, and I get a devotional to go along with it, um, I do Pastor Paul's study along with my soap, then my quiet time, mm, yes, I've got it. Or this sinful habit that I have, if I do this, this, and this, if I go to bed having read my Bible and prayed, I'm all set to have success. They're all great things. They're all wonderful things. But what are you doing when you're thinking like that? You're treating it like your battle. You're not treating it like God's battle. You're not acknowledging this is God's battle. We strategize and we plan and we scheme. Then if we do this, this and this, and we get what we need and get what we want, because they're good things, I need them. They're the Jericho in my life and I can't quite overcome it. But we forget This is God's battle. Whatever the Jericho is in your life, you can never overcome it by thinking it's your battle, your problem, your burden to bear. And the Israelites, I don't think, I think they walked into Canaan with a good attitude, acknowledging that uh, God was the one who was guiding them and and, and bringing them into this, this land. But even Joshua is reminded in chapter 5. Look down in your Bibles in chapter 5 that was read for us. I think he even sort of thought, saw it as a Joshua versus Jericho situation. I've often imagined this scene in chapter 5 that Jericho, it's at night and Jericho is, uh, Joshua is sitting up on a hill looking at Jericho. And he's thinking, I, I know this is where God wants me to be. I know that we're meant to conquer Jericho soon. We've been, it's been promised to us. We've been commanded to do it. But he's sitting up there going, 
Now, what am I going to do? How am I going to... He's plotting and he's scheming. How are we going to conquer Jericho? And he sees this man, this, this man, and he goes up and asks him a question. And this is actually really funny if you, if you like, look at it closely. He goes up and asks a question. Whose side are you on? Are you on our side or on the side of our adversaries? And this man says, no. Whose side are you on? This side or that side? No. A better, maybe a better translation is this, this man says, God, neither. I'm on neither side. Yet we need to stop imagining this is solely our own personal battle. We need to see this is not Israel versus Jericho. This is not Israel versus Canaan. It always has been since sin entered the world, God versus evil. And God had a plan for Israel and he had his hand upon them as long as they were under his will. But he also had a plan for Jericho and for Canaan. He had a plan to bring his wrath and his punishment on them for their awful atrocities and for the heinous things that they had done. And Joshua soon very quickly realises there's something bigger happening here than this battle between two sides. You know, you need to remember that when you're fighting with your spouse, it's not you versus your husband. It's not you versus your parent. It's not you versus your kid. It's not you versus uh, this, this sinful habit that you've got. It's not you versus uh, a, a stressful work situation. It's God's battle and it's God versus evil. Don't have the mindset that even Joshua had and ask the question, whose side are you on? Are you on my side or my enemy's side? Because if you're not fulfilling my purposes and giving me what I want, then you must be against me. You're either for me or you're against me. And when you do that, you have this danger of saying, my parents aren't giving me what I want, therefore they're my enemy. My spouse isn't quite seeing eye to eye with me, so therefore they're my enemy. The question when we recognise that it's God's battle, not whose side are they on, the question to ask is, whose side am I on? Whose side am I on? Because God isn't on Jericho or Israelite's side. He's on his own side because this is his battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of this dark world. We need to also recognise that this is God's battle and God doesn't come the way we always expect him to. Often he comes in the form of something that we would seem, that would seem very much not God. Joshua thought this man was just a man, uh, a warrior, was all that struck Joshua that this guy was. Little did he know that it was God himself. And something that it's not explicitly clear in English, but in the Hebrew Many scholars agree that this is uh, an angel, a messenger of God. It's actually God himself, an incarnation of God. And it's nothing like Joshua would expect. It's nothing like we would expect. He just seemed like a normal man. And we need to remember this, that in God's battle, he will reveal himself in ways that we don't expect. He will do it whenever he wants, however he wants whichever way that he wants. But regardless of when or where or how, one promise we can hold on to is that 
He always comes the way we need and when we need. In God's battle, God always comes when we need and the way we need. God can use creation. He can use other people in your life. His greatest tool is his word. He can reveal himself in ways you never expected. And when we recognize that this is God's battle, we are more aware of his presence. We are more aware of his plan in our life, ways we never would have expected. We also need to recognize that this is his battle and that we could never win this battle ourselves. Look at uh, chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2. The Israelites, on paper, had no clear way of defeating Jericho. They were not even an established nation yet. They were a big tribe of nomads with no home. This tribe of nomads versus a fortified city. And verse 1 says it's shut up inside and outside. It's impenetrable. And it's full of seasoned soldiers, mighty men of valour. Israel didn't stand much of a chance against Jericho. But God says, I, I have delivered Jericho into your hand. It's already done. It's something Israel could have never done. God says, I have already done it. I have delivered them into your hand. When we recognize that this is God's battle and that really we are hopeless, it may sound belittling to us, but it's actually meant to release us. To release you from all that striving and that getting burnt out, to try and get that victory that forever eludes you because you were always treating it as your battle that you could win. But it's God's battle. And you could never win it yourself. Give the, battle of, give the battle to God and the battle is won. So then if, we, if it's God's battle and we recognize that it's God's battle, we shouldn't be thinking so individualistically, this is my battle, my personal struggle, my burden to bear. Once we realize and recognize this is God's battle and the reasons why we should do that, What am I meant to do? If it's God's battle, what should I do? What is our role in God's battle? Because we do have a role to play. And we need to remember that. We have a role to play in God's battle. Sometimes we think that it's our battle and God plays a role in our battle. But it's actually the other way around. It's God's battle and we play a role in his battle. Firstly, our role is we need to respect and awe God. Look at... Chapter 15 again. When Joshua recognised that this was God's battle and that uh, there was something bigger happening here than just uh, Israel versus Jericho, he realised that he was in God's presence. He threw himself down in worship. He threw himself down on his face in worship. How often do we, like, like tonight, some of the songs that we sung, how often do we just stop in awe and wonder and reverence for God. Just stop and go, hang on, this this God, this holy God who created the heavens, the stars, the earth, so majestic, so holy, so wonderful, so mighty, everlasting, ancient of days, how often do we just stop and soak that up and go, Wow, 
and just worship Him? Have you ever, as we sung tonight, actually physically fallen at His feet and just said, Lord, you are God, God, you are Lord, and you're just incredible, and I adore you. I worship you. When we have reverence and awe for God, we're set for battle because we know the one to whom the battle belongs. When we have reverence and awe for God, we are set for battle because we know the one to whom the battle belongs. And along with that reverence and awe, how often do you ask, like Joshua did, what message do you have for me, God? God, this is your battle. I acknowledge that. This is your battle. What do you want me to do? And and I don't do this. My prayers, if I do pray, are so methodical. God, pray for me, pray for my wife, pray for my son, uh, pray for these problems, bless this day, Um, amen. How often do I just go, God, you're amazing. I acknowledge that you're so wonderful. This is a broken world, but you're fighting for it. What do you want me to do for your kingdom? How often do we just say, God, speak to me. What do you want me to do? We need awe and reverence because not, on, not until we take the place of servant can he take the place of Lord. Not till we take the place of servant can he take the place of Lord. Secondly, we need to obey. And you're like, I didn't realize it was in Sunday school. Um, the word obey is just like we, we forget about it. And the Lord gave the Israelites directions of how Jericho would come down, how to be conquered. And most of the reading that Kim did for us is the Israelites fulfilling that, those commands. The directions were clear and the Israelites obeyed. When I was little, I used to, um, I honestly hated the hymn, Trust and Obey. Because like, when we'd sing it, like, my dad would be singing. He'd be like, trust and obey, for there's no other. He'd be looking at me like, is he convicted? Because I'm obviously not obeying. I used to hate the word obey. I even still do just feel this, like, I feel like a child when I hear the word obey. And maybe that's the point. Like, maybe that's a good thing. And, you know, some of us, we just flippantly gloss over the word obey. And it's like, think, oh, I don't know what God wants me to do. If this is his battle, what does he want me to do? You and I both know that there's, there's always something in our life that we should be, should be doing, but we're not. There's something in your life that you shouldn't be doing and you need to stop. And it's a clear command from God, whatever that may be, you know what it is. And, like, the directions here for the Israelites, they were clear. And often our directions are clear. And you might be like, oh, I, what do you mean? So, well, classic example, go forth into all the world and make disciples. I'm a hopeless evangelist. I am shocking at evangelists, not because I have awful people skills, even though I was homeschooled. That is a problem. But it's because I'm lazy. It's because I will not obey, because I hate the word obey. You might think, well, oh, such a basic step as a part of our role in God's army and his battle. But how many of us really are obeying? Thirdly, and this might seem strange, 
So we have reverence and awe for God. We need to obey. Our third role in God's battle is we need to follow through on obedience. What do I mean by that? I feel like often the Israelites are applauded for um, marching around Jericho. You know, 13 times. So that was funny about the, the DC um, march. They did, only did it seven times. It was actually 13 times they marched Jericho. They marched around Jericho 13 times, and that took faith and trust. Like, the Jer- Jericho soldiers could have come and run out and just cut them to the ground. Well, we never really think about that. But it wasn't that hard. Like, it would have taken patience, and it would, did take a, a level of obedience, for sure. But I personally believe, excuse me, I personally believe that verse 21 is harder than the other verses. Like, they know that they've got to do this. It's been talked about. It happens again. But there's all this talk about having to go in and to devote the city to destruction. And I I don't know, I feel like maybe we might get this picture that it's like the movies and the Israelites are like bloodthirsty villains running up the walls and like, ha, 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 come on, boys, get them. That's not what it would have been like. This would have been an awful experience and would have been so hard to obey. You see, it's one thing to obey God initially, to walk around the walls of Jericho. It's another thing to follow through the obedience and actually go into Jericho and finish the work to actually follow through with it. This was an awful, tragic experience for the Israelites. It's one thing to say here on a Sunday night, God, I repent. I repent of my sin. I'm not going back to it. But then to actually follow through on that obedience at home is another thing. It's one thing to say here on a Friday night, God, I commit to having a prayerful life. I'm going to pray more. And it's easy to obey that conviction initially and to obey that, but then to go home and go to bed and instead of praying, you pull out your phone. It's harder to follow through with obedience, to follow through on that conviction. Our role in God's battle is not just to obey, but to follow through on obedience. And lastly, our role in God's battle, is to have faith. And faith is what wraps all of this up. We can't obey God and have reverence for him if we don't have faith. It says in Hebrews 11, in the hall of faith, that the walls of Jericho came down because of the faith of the Israelites. The Israelites had faith. They believed the stories of their parents about what happened in Egypt. And they, they were going in faith because God said he'd already given them the city. We need to understand that we're not just fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. We're not just fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. So, I repeat my question to us again. Is Jericho relevant to us? I would say so. I say it's relevant to me. I pray that it's relevant to you. But as I was, um, I was talking to Joe my wife yesterday, she asked me how my sermon was going and I shared in a nutshell all of what I've just shared with you. And she made a good point. She says, ultimately, it sounds good, but ultimately it sounds very Christianese. Like basically what I'm saying is 
The battle belongs to God. Trust him. Obey. Like, there's not much depth to that, is there? I don't want to beat you over the head like, trust God, obey. Battle belongs to him. Understand that. You're all good. That's how you can defeat, have, conquer your Jericho. There's more hope in this passage than that. And can I just have a go at encouraging your heart tonight and maybe give a bit of feeling that's been messi- missing from this message? Read verse 2 and 16 with me again. <clears throat> and the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. And then verse 16. When the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I want to declare something to you tonight. Whatever your Jericho is, and just for this moment, let me allegorize. Jericho, whatever your Jericho is, whether that's your struggle with prayer, this constant desire to have a meaningful prayer life, a devoted prayer life, and it just will not click. The wall will not come down. Maybe it's an addiction to sin that will not go away. Your Jericho might be relationship tension, an impenetrable wall. Your Jericho might be shame. And you cannot overcome your shame. You cannot feel like you can worship God because of it. Take a second and think about the Jericho in your life. Maybe you've got Jerichos. You've got multiple things in your life that you feel you cannot overcome. Contemplate and think about what's your Jericho? What is it in your life? And as you think of that, let me declare this to you. God has already won. God has already won. This is his battle, and he has already won. Look at verse 2. It says, Look, I have already given it into your hand. The battle is already won. And look at verse 16. Joshua says, Shout, for the Lord has given you the victory. But the walls hadn't fallen down yet. So if the battle's won, but I'm feeling defeated, I'm not living in victory, what do I have to do? What did the Israelites do? What did Joshua command the Israelites to do? To shout. They shouted. And maybe what you need to do to get victory in your life, to break those walls of your Jericho, is shout for the Lord. I want to say to you tonight and to myself, the victory is won. We don't have to scheme and plot and figure it all out on ourselves and how we're going to overcome that Jericho in our life. We just have to shout. We just have to shout and proclaim that God is Lord, that He is mighty and powerful and that we can claim the victory that He's already won. And how do we know, sitting in this room... 3,500 years later from after this was written, how do we know that the battle is won? How is Jericho relevant to us? Because Jesus had the victory on the cross. When he defeated sin and death, the battle is won on the cross and on, when he rose from the dead. 
And you might say, well, am I reading into this passage too much? Where's Jesus in here? Jesus isn't mentioned. But I put to you that Jesus is actually in here three times. First of all, Rahab. Rahab is the ancestor of Jesus. She was on Jericho's side and she said, I want to be on God's side. And God blessed her and she became the ancestor of Jesus. Rahab is pointing to Jesus, the Redeemer. And in chapter 15, it says that uh, this is, like I said before, we believe that this is God himself. And he's a messenger of God. Who was the messenger of God that came down to earth in the form of a man? Jesus himself. And it's no accident that this pre-incarnation of Jesus says in verse 2, Look, the battle is already won. And the very book, the whole story of Joshua. Joshua means Yahweh is my salvation. Joshua is another name for Jesus. So you might think, what relevance does Jericho have for me? Well, Jericho isn't a story about God using miraculous means to get what I want. Jericho is a story that points you to Jesus where the battle was won on the cross. A battle that's already won, that you don't have to fight for anymore. And some of you, and even me, you're feeling defeated tonight. You're feeling defeated because you're fighting God's battle on your own. Thinking to yourself, it's my battle, it's my burden. I'm not going to share this with anyone. I'm not going to share this with the Lord. And you're feeling defeated because you don't feel you have victory. But the victory is won. You just have to claim it. Just shout and proclaim that Jesus is the Lord. Shout and proclaim that Jesus is the Lord and that he's better than this sin that you're addicted to. Shout and proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that I want to meet this, this Jesus in prayer. Shout and proclaim that Jesus is the Lord and it will give you perspective over conflict with family and in relationships. Like We gloss over verse 20 because if we know this story, we gloss over it. We're so familiar with the story that this is just mind-blowing. This fortified city, just at the shout, just all those bricks just capitulated, came crashing down. And I know and you know that some of your Jerichos, some of the Jerichos in your life, it's going to take a miracle for those walls to come down. Now I must, I must, I must, I must clarify that this is not prescriptive. This is descriptive. I'm not saying if you shout, your addiction is gone. If you shout, family relationships are just going to be mended together. And this, is, this is really personal for me. My family is praying for a miracle, an unsolvable situation that uh, walls that cannot be conquered. And I wish it was that easy, that if I just say, Jesus, your Lord... My family's going to be all back together again. It's not, it's not going to happen that easily. Well, one thing that I can promise is that it'll give us perspective. And even if the walls do come down, like I've already said in verse 21, it doesn't mean that the battle's finished. There's still some hard work to do. And the walls coming down also aren't going to be like you expect sometimes. God reveals himself in Ways that we don't 
expect. His plan is revealed in ways that we don't anticipate. But one thing that I can promise is that when we shout that Jesus is Lord, the walls will come down into his will. We will be able to enter into his will and have peace with him. When we shout that Jesus is Lord, those walls will come down. And one last thing that I I want us to take home really quickly. I encourage you to go home and read this again in your own time. But what did it take for all of this to happen other than God planning it and God orchestrating it? It took the obedience of the Israelites, but it took the obedience of the Israelites as a whole. It took community. Can you imagine if only Joshua believed this message and he marched around Jericho seven times and then he just shouted how pathetic that would have looked from a distance to the people of Jericho? But the Israelites were approximately two to four million people strong. Can you imagine the sound of four million people shouting? Can you imagine if all of us, as one body of believers, shouted that Jesus is Lord and that we, as a community, can break down walls together? Something... That for some of you tonight, you might be thinking, this is, you might be saying, yeah, Jericho might be relevant, but it's not relevant to me. And we've been talking about Israelites, Jericho, and all that sort of thing. Israelites being the people of God. Maybe this isn't relevant to you because possibly you're in the Jericho camp. And you're not a part of this at all. And you're not seeing how this is relevant. And that might seem harsh, but I offer you this promise. Look at Rahab. She was in Jericho and she saw the mighty acts of God. She said, I want to be on God's side. And I encourage you and I invite you, if you want to be on God's side, you can. You can be tonight. So as we close, battle for your Jericho, whatever that may be, recognize that it's God's battle. Know your role in his battle and shout and proclaim the victory that is already won for you. Um, let's stand and we're going to sing and we're, I pray you're going to shout now. But let me, let me pray for you as we close. Dear Lord, we adore you. We praise you for your grace. We stand before you as nothing without you. Thank you for your, your word and what you did for, us, for your people and its beauty that points us to your great love expressed on the cross. Help us, Lord, to see your word for what it is and apply it the way that you want us to. Be with us, Lord. Can I pray for you guys tonight? If tonight there's something in your life that you can't overcome, you know there's a Jericho in your life. And I pray for you and I invite you as I pray. If you feel comfortable, like extend your hands as a physical expression to yourself that this isn't just a personal battle that's going on on the inside in your heart and mind. That this is this is a real thing. This is God's battle. And you want to express that physically, just like the Israelites express it physically. Let me pray for you. Pray along with me. 
dear Lord, I fall at your feet. And I see in my life, in your word, that you are strong and mighty and I am hopeless without you. So, Lord, it's your battle. I confess where I have been trying to fight it as if it were my own battle. In my own strength and Jesus, I have, I'm over this battle. I want to give this battle to you and to the one who, one who it belongs to. And I place this battle at the cross. Strengthen me, Lord. Lord, I give you my Jericho and I trust you. And even if my Jericho doesn't go away, I trust you to break down walls in my life and reveal more of yourself to me and make me more like you. Thank you that the battle is already won. That you have defeated sin and death. And Jesus, I proclaim that you are Lord. I shout that you are victorious. Jesus, claim your victory. I want to claim that victory every day. Help me shout out victoriously. Lord, how wonderful you are.